Good morning to you. How are you? It is Eric Erickson. My goodness gracious. Did you see the press conference yesterday? Holy cow. Uh, <laughs> you know, I could do three hours a day every day. This is, this is our running joke here at the Eric Erickson show. I, I could do three hours a day, every day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, and just make it about the president and the press in particular, the press's bad behavior. The, the, <laughs> the president knows how to get under their skin in ways. I don't know that any president has ever done. It was obvious yesterday what was going to happen when the president got into his press conference and began to go after the media and the media's coverage of his administration. In large part, the reason the president did what he did is because of a Priorities USA ad that is running in places like Michigan uh, where they blame the president for all the deaths that the president has blood on his hands. Essentially, uh, running there's a it's a black screen with a graph of the daily death rate of COVID-19 or the daily contraction rate of COVID-19. Sorry, wrong wrong audio there. Uh, And it shows the number of people in the United States who have contracted COVID-19 going up, 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 playing over the president's audio that um, there's nothing to worry about. The president uh, has been in charge and the virus isn't going to spread. Well... The president had enough of yesterday. In addition to suing a a TV station in Wisconsin that's running that ad from Priorities USA, the president decided to start his press conference yesterday with a video montage. I'm going to play it for you now if you missed it. People should be more concerned right now with the flu in this country. A lot of people are concerned about the coronavirus because they're hearing a lot of news about it right now. But the reality is comparing it to the flu, for example, it's not even close to being at that stage. What if it is worse? Is this a moment where maybe countries put politics aside, a little bit of pride aside? And do we have U.S. officials? Should U.S. professionals such as yourself get involved? How worried should Americans be about coronavirus? Coronavirus is not going to cause a major issue in the United States. Well, we've asked them to accelerate whatever they're doing in terms of a vaccine. We will be suspending all travel from Europe to the United States for the next 30 days. To unleash the full power of the federal government in this effort today, I am officially declaring a national emergency. Medicare patients can now visit any doctor by phone or video conference at no additional cost. The first one million masks will be available immediately. As there were more cases and it was clear that it was spreading out of China, where it originated. The president took this move that he was widely criticized for by Democrats and even some Republicans at the time, which was he halted a number of flights from China into the US. The idea was to halt the spread of the disease, keep transmissions to a minimum. He was accused of xenophobia. He was accused of making a racist move. At the end of the day, it was probably effective because it did actually take a pretty aggressive measure against the spread of the virus. His team is on it. They've been responsive late at night, early in the morning, uh, and they've uh, thus far been doing everything that they can do. And I want to say thank you. And I want to say that I appreciate it. 
He returns calls. He reaches out. Uh, he's been proactive. Uh, we got that Mercy ship down here in Los Angeles. That was directly because he sent it down here. 2,000 uh, medical uh, units came to the state of California, these FMS, these, these field medical stations. Uh, and that's been very, very helpful. The president has been... Uh uh, outstanding uh, through all this. The vice president's been outstanding. Members of the coronavirus task force, very responsive. We had asked if we could have, New Jersey could have access to a piece of the beds that are on the USNS Comfort, and the president came back, called me a short few minutes before I walked in here to say, indeed, they would grant that to New Jersey. So that's a big step for us, in addition to all the other capacity. That news is literally hot off the press, and I thank the president and vice president who are on the call together. President Trump approved Arizona's request for a presidential major disaster declaration. I want to thank the president for a quick turnaround. We requested this on a Wednesday, and we had approval by Saturday morning. And we are grateful to the administration for their continued support and responsiveness. Well, first of all, I want to uh, thank uh, the, the, the president, the vice president, for doing a really good job of communicating with all the governors. That was where the president started his press conference with yesterday, and it led to an unbelievable meltdown uh, by the media. In fact, I want to play you now. This is one of the reporters at that press conference and her exchange with the president. This is, uh, oh, let me find her name. I want to do justice to this because this was an absolutely unhinged shouting match with the president. It was Paula Reed from CBS News trying to grandstand uh, as the president was answering questions in the press room and CNN's running uh, cryons on its screen talking about the president's blame game begins. The president tries to rewrite history, all of these things. We, yes, we got to spend time here this morning. Lots of audio to get you through what happened yesterday. Lives that by time hurting. that you bought, the argument is that you bought yourself some time and you didn't use it to prepare hospitals. You didn't use it to ramp up testing. Right you're now, so, you're so, you're so disgraceful. It's so disgraceful the way you say that. Let, let me just, listen, dead. I just How went over it. Or this to make people I just went over in it. an unprecedented crisis. Nobody thought we should do it. And when I did it. But what did you do with the time that you bought? You know, the we month did. of February. That, you that know video we did. was a gap. What the do you do? What do you do when you have no case in the whole United States? You had cases when in you, February. you excuse me. You reported it. Zero cases, zero deaths on January 17th. January. February, the entire January, I said in January. Has a complete gap. On Plus January 30th. What did your administration do in February with the time that your travel ban bought A lot. A lot. And in fact, we'll give you a list. What we did, in fact, part of it was up there. It we did a lot. Look, look. You know you're a fake. You know that. <laughs> your whole network, the way you cover it, is fake. And most of you, and not all of you. But the people are wise to you. That's why you have a lower a lower approval rating than you've ever had before, times probably three. True. And when you ask me that question, let me ask you this: Why didn't Biden? Why didn't? Why did Biden apologize? Why did he write a letter of apology? No, that's very important. Why did the Democrats think that I acted too quickly? You know why? Because they really thought that I acted too quickly. He's right. We have done a great job. Now I could have. I could have kept it open and I could have done what some countries are doing. They're getting beat up pretty badly. I could have kept it open. I thought of keeping it open because nobody's ever heard of closing down a country, let alone the United States of America. 
But if I would have done that, we would have had hundreds of thousands of people that would right now be dead. We've done this right, and we, we really, we really have done this right. The problem is the press doesn't cover it the way it should be. Go ahead. One- the, <laughs> I mean, it was open warfare between, and listen, there's always contentions between the president and the press. There is always contentions. There are always claims that there are always attacks, but yesterday uh, took it to a new level between the president and the White House press corps. They were yelling at each other. It was combative. Uh, Brian Steltler on CNN had an absolute crying meltdown fit. Uh, let me see if I can find this. I did not get Charlie to to cut this up because he had to listen to so much of that stuff. I didn't want him to have to listen to this, and I didn't want him to have to listen to this uh, because he probably well. It was good for his soul that he did not have to listen to this meltdown, Uh, but I listened to it, and now I want you to listen to it because you'll laugh at me. It is genuinely silly to hear, uh, but this is the the CNN media guy, the the reliable sources anchor, Brian Steltler. I've been on his show. He just, he can't handle the president attacking the press. Go after people asking questions. Yeah, he still seems to prefer these small fights with the press instead of focusing on the virus. And that anti-media propaganda video is an example. He started this briefing with that anti-media propaganda video, which is nothing short of disgraceful. It also shows us where he's coming from. He's focused on the past. He wasn't talking as much about the present or the future. Okay, I got to stop there first because... I'm ridiculing Brian Stutler, and and I've always had a cordial relationship with the guy, but the president has broken him like so many in the press. He's a very nice guy who really hates that the president is calling out the press. And and just listen to how he kind of twists this is, is this is all about the past. What's the argument been over? What, what has the argument been over for the last week, several weeks now is is the president didn't do enough back when the president did not do enough back in the day, the president didn't do enough. And so the president sought to respond to that criticism. And now look at how the shift is here. He's not talking about the present. He's not talking about the virus. He's talking about the media attacks about the past. Well, of course, because the media has been attacking him about the past. Yeah, finally, later in the briefing, he eventually got around to talking about the government's response to the virus and what's happening now. But he was so focused on the past, Aaron. And I found myself thinking about the people in hospital wards who... They don't want to talk about the past. They want to talk about right now. They need help right now. But the president is not showing empathy for those people. He is not showing compassion for the the families that have lost loved ones. Instead, he's trying to play small ball. He's trying to fight against the media because that works for him. Culture war fights work for him. He knows how to do those. He's really good at those. But I think we have to keep focusing on the questions he's not answering about the lack of testing, the lack of a plan to get us out of this mess. That's what he doesn't want to talk about. And so he attacks the media instead. He doesn't want to talk about these things. So he wants to attack the media. No, he, he, here's the thing. You know, I, I have, I, I'm, I'm, I've been a critic of this president. I didn't vote for him in 2016. I'm voting for him in 2020. We, we have a cordial relationship. What, what is, what is staggering to me? What just, it, it really does it. It blows my mind. Is that it is abundantly obvious to me and to every single one of you why the president is doing what he's doing. 
It is abundantly obvious to all of us, and yet it is not obvious to the media. The president is having a hard time steering the news cycle away from COVID-19. This is the first news cycle since he's been president that lasted for more than a week. In fact, this news cycle has lasted for more than a month. The president has not yet found it within his unique superpowers to be able to steer the conversation in the way he wants to go. And so the president has hit on a new strategy. He's going to steer the media away from those things the media might like to cover into the areas that make the media look bad because the president can then control the narrative about COVID-19 so long as the media makes it about themselves. Because if there's one thing Americans hate more than government incompetence is they hate people obsessed with themselves. The whole idea, for example, there there's this phenomenon now online of people dragging celebrities who dare to show off their lavish lifestyle right now in an age of quarantine. There's some reality star who supposedly got trapped at the Bahamas who is live streaming her workouts every day. She had to stop because the horde of angry people on social media came after her because she was making it all about herself and, and how awesome she was. The media loves to tout how awesome they are. They refuse to ever talk about their great screw-ups. They have no introspection, no self-control, and and no self-reflection. And when the president is able to draw that out, it turns the American public on the media, not the president. And the media falls for it ritualistically, religiously. Every time the president is able to get the media to go down this road, the president wins. And yesterday, the president won because the media could not contain themselves. They could not help themselves. They had to make it about themselves. The president of the United States of America is the most unpopular president to run for re-election since Jimmy Carter. That is a fact. He is aided by an American press corps that is hated more than him. Burning bags of dog poop on front stoops rate higher with the American public than the American press corps. And the president has a unique way of drawing that animosity towards the press out in the public. And he did so yesterday with this press conference. He played it beautifully. He played it masterfully. Dare I say he controlled the room and the press doesn't even realize it. They can't help themselves. I'm just, I, what, what, what flabbergasts me to a degree is that it's abundantly obvious to you and it's abundantly obvious to me. It is abundantly obvious to virtually everyone out there, except the members of the media who just can't help themselves. And they feel obligated to push back on this president. And when you have less popularity than a flaming bag of dog poop on a front stoop, there's no way that you can push back credibly and have people feel in any sense sympathetic towards your position. The phone number here, I suppose I should be giving out the phone number. I didn't do that to start the show. I'm sorry. If you'd like to call in, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425 is the phone number. Happy to have you joining me today. We got to play some more from this press conference because, man, 
Well, it, it was it was just it was a weird one. It was a whacked out one. Uh, I was I was impressed. Uh, here's the governor, or the president, talking about talking to the governors. A quick question about something you just said. You said when someone is president of the United States, their authority is total. That is not true. Who? who okay, told you, you know what we're going to do? We're going to write up papers on this. It's not going to be necessary because the governors need us one way or the other. Because ultimately. It comes with the federal government. That being said, we're getting along very well with the governors, and I feel very certain that uh, there won't be a problem. Yeah, please, governor, go ahead. Has any governor agreed that you have the authority to decide when their state I haven't asked anybody. Because I don't, you know why? Because I don't have to. Go ahead, please. But who told you the president has the total authority? Enough. Please. <laughs> yeah, so the president said yesterday that he's got total authority, that he will be the one to reopen the country. Which, of course, isn't true. And, and even the president's supporters were pushing back yesterday and said, no, actually, Mr. President, you can't. I, I can already predict for you the next montage from the president. It was only about three weeks ago that Don Lemon on CNN and a number of the talking heads on MSNBC and others were saying, why hasn't the president done a nationwide shelter in place? Why isn't there a nationwide shelter in place? Why haven't they done nationwide shelter in place? And the answer is the president of the United States does not have the power to order a nationwide shelter in place. He doesn't. And now the very same members of the press who insisted the president should order a nationwide shelter in place are now saying, you can't do that. You can't send the whole country back. You're not allowed to send the country back. You don't have that power, Mr. President. And uh, by the way, um, it, it is, it's, it's fascinating to me. Where is it? Hang on a second. I got a, I got a, a message last night from a friend of mine who pointed out that uh, in this sudden embrace of federalism by an American media that was perfectly happy to have uh, Barack Obama do anything he wanted to do and say anything he wanted to say, um, yeah, the, the 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 media is now, this is NBC News, this is their headline, under the Constitution, powers not specifically granted to the president, including the police power, are reserved for the states. That, that's NBC News. No, no, no. Actually, it's the powers not granted to the federal government, not just the president, but to the federal government are reserved to the states. It's, who wrote this? What, what idiot wrote this? Uh... Dartonoro Clark. I don't know who Dartonoro Clark is. Uh, Dartonoro Clark, a political reporter for NBC News. Uh, this entire thing, the headline, Trump uses coronavirus briefing to air his grievances. It was Festivus. He forgot to celebrate Festivus, and that's all it was, was Festivus. I thought we were supposed to celebrate Festivus. Clearly, the reporters have not. Uh, have have not watched Seinfeld enough. It was on NBC. How can NBC News run this headline without making a Festivus reference? Trump uses coronavirus briefing to air his grievances. Now, we get down to the bottom. When pushed repeatedly by a CNN reporter on the source for his claim that he has total authority, he refused to answer her question. Enough! He said before return before turning to other reporters. Seriously, I mean, first there's no festivist reference, and then they get the Constitution wrong. I mean, the president got it wrong, yes, but they got it wrong as well. Come on, people, come on, do better. This is why the president can do what he's doing 
because the media cannot help itself. As Ann Richards used to say about George H.W. Bush back in the day, the old governor of Texas, uh, he can't hip himself. He can't hip himself. The media can't hip itself. Oh, come on, people. <laughs> At least give me a Seinfeld reference, NBC. This is just pathetic. Now, we got to get into what Dr. Fauci said and the quest to fire Dr. Fauci when we come back. Hello there. How are you? <clears throat> My voice nearly cracked, and it's been years since I went through puberty. <laughs> Y'all, allergies. Every time I start to cough for season, they go, oh my gosh, I got the virus. No, I, I was at the grocery store. I had to go, I had to, go to Publix yesterday, and I, I, I needed to cough. I, I just had ugh, in, in my throat. It just allergy season. And I thought, what am I going to do? Where am I going? I can't go to the bathroom. I'd have to touch a door handle. Where, what am I going to do? And, and I, I, I just I had to try to discreetly just cough. Into my arm, I did into my arm. I just, I just, I could feel people judging me. Up, oh, he's going to make us all die. He is death. No, no, I just, it's allergies. Okay, people are really sensitive. You know, at Fresh Market starting today. I, in fact, I'll show you on 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 the live cam on the live stream. My, my my wife made my mask for me, so I could actually do this program with this mask on. Except I'm not going to. I want you to hear the dulcet tones of my voice now. <laughs> Let's go to David and Dexter. David, welcome. Good morning. Hey, I appreciate it. Mega Dittos. Thank you. Eric, I uh, I know you were uh, I know you were a never trucker, but need to get you back on uh, filling in for Rush. Well, look, I I, I, his, uh, I am a, a I don't know that I can now that I'm doing the show syndicated. He and I are good friends, um, and I would love to, but since this show is syndicated, I don't know that it's possible. Although I, I you know, I have told him it's only in Georgia. I'm I'm still happy to fill in. Yeah, well, I just wanted to get to my really just get your comments on this uh, this COVID mask that uh, we're looking at every day. You know, if you if you go to cdc.gov, look at the flu analysis. You know, over the past three years, between thirty and sixty thousand people died in the U.S. Uh, you know, as of this morning, we're right at about twenty-one thousand deaths from COVID. Uh, I mean, what would the numbers be for the flu if we implemented just a little bit of what we're doing now? Uh, it dramatically I mean? less. I, you know, I'm glad you brought this point up. And I don't mean to put you on the spot, David, but it is becoming a, a little bit of a pet peeve of mine um, for a couple of reasons. Let, let me see if I can explain my, my perspective on this one. And feel free to disagree with me. I know a lot of people do. Uh, in New York City this week, um, already we're only at Tuesday. And this week in New York City, I, I shouldn't say this week. I, I should say Friday through to Monday. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, that's four days. In four days this week, more people have died in New York City in four days from COVID-19 than died last year total from the flu in New York City. Um, that that That's my perspective on it. Um, and we should hear that story coming out later today, I would assume, in the media. Uh, when you when you go to the CDC or you actually you go to the New York Department of Public Health and they can break it down by regions of the state and you look at New York City, uh, more people have died in four days this week from COVID-19 in New York City than died from the flu in the 2018-2019 flu period. Uh, we're, 
we're totally at 22,000 some odd deaths in the country in two months from COVID-19 and the flu last year killed 34,221 people total nationwide. So yeah, I, I, I see what part of the problem here, I think is that everyone has said this is flu like, and, and so people assume, oh, this is a type of flu and it's, it's not, it's actually a completely different virus strain and we don't have any natural immunity to it. What's striking to me is that, uh, 34 some odd thousand people died from the flu last year and there was a vaccine and over 50% of the people who died from the flu last year did not get the vaccine. Uh, which to me is striking, and I realize there there's vaccine skepticism out there from people, and so, but it, when more than half of the people die of the flu didn't get the vaccine for the flu, that suggests to me that there is there's a, a level of prevention they could have done that would have actually dropped that pretty significantly. Now, that's different from COVID nineteen, because COVID nineteen there's no vaccine. So we've got in slightly less than a week in New York City, four days, uh, four of a seven-day week period, we've got more people die in New York City than died of the flu last year. That that tells me, one, that this is worse than the flu. That ha- more than half the people who died of the flu last year in this country, 34,200, could have gotten a vaccine and chose not to. Also tells me there's there's a problem there uh, with, with with people not taking care of themselves. Uh, And and then there's the last issue of this actually isn't a flu. And and I've tried to be clear with people, but but people have a hard time understanding because when you hear everyone says it has flu-like symptoms, everyone says it's like getting the flu, the mild cases are like getting the flu, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You tend to process that as, well, this is the flu or this is a type of flu, but it's not actually a type of flu. It's not actually the flu. It's a completely separate virus. It is a it is a completely separate strain. Like for example, let me let me give you H one N one. This is this is the the most common comparison. H one N one was a global pandemic in uh, the early part of the Obama administration, and sixty some odd thousand people got it and died. That is the um, that that's the comparison a lot of people use. Bill Bennett yesterday on Fox News used the sixty thousand people die of the flu, and what he was actually talking about it's H one N one. Sixty thousand people died of H one N one, but H one N one is a type of flu. It is an influenza, an influenza virus, and because we have had influenza around the world for more than 100 years, every single person listening to this program right now has a level of built-up immunity to it. So your body has an easier chance of fighting it all. It was still bad. It was still bad. 60,000, normally 30 to 40,000 people die. We had over 60,000 people died of H1N1, but it was still a type of flu. Most people's bodies could handle it. And you know the way the flu vaccine works is they put in a bunch of different strains to build up your immunity and they may miss a strain. And that's typically when people get the shot and then get the flu, they either get a mild case of the flu or they, they get one of the strains that was in the flu. That happened to my wife last year. She had she got the flu shot and she still got the flu. And it was one of the strains they suspect that wasn't actually in the flu shot. And it was a bad case of the flu. And she wound up having to go to the hospital given her underlying conditions. Well, H1N1 was bad because it wasn't in the flu vaccine, so you didn't have any immunity to it, except because it was a flu, your body knew sort of how to respond to it. 
This is a completely separate, different virus. It is not an influenza virus. It is a different virus. And as a result, nobody who gets this virus has any level of natural immunity. Your body doesn't know what to do with this virus. And in fact, that's one reason 20% of people get hospitalized and 3% of people die is because your body doesn't know how to respond to this virus. So what your body essentially does is it mass produces white blood cells and throws them into your lungs. And in throwing them into your lungs causes lung damage. And then that lung damage magnifies and amplifies the damage from COVID-19, leaving those who do survive, who have gotten to this point uh, where where their body goes into all-out warfare, leaves them with long-term permanent lung damage. So it's it's not the flu. It's not an influenza. Uh, it, it The symptoms present like the flu, but that doesn't mean it is the flu. And we got to be careful with the comparisons because I see a lot of people saying it is just like the flu or Bill Bennett saying, you know, 60,000 people die of the flu. Well, actually, last year it was 34,221 people died of the flu. We're already close to 23,000 people in two months of this. By the way, the flu season, when people say 34,221 people died of the flu last year, that's uh, October of 2018 to March of 2019. That's a six-month flu season. Here we've got two months, and we're at 23,000. So we, we will have more people die this year from that. And on top of that, we're all sheltered in place. So we're all sheltered in place. We're not going anywhere, and we still got 23,000 people dead already in two months. That suggests this is way more aggressive uh, than your standard flu. Jake and Macon, you're going to be next. Welcome. Hey, hey, uh, Eric, thank you very much. Uh, just want to comment on your show on Friday. It was fabulous on Good thank Friday, you. and I thank you for that. But also, two quick points, and I've been reading up on a lot of stuff and research. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. But I go back now, and now, I wait, wait, Jake, I got to ask you, did you stay at a Holiday Inn Express, though? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Had to ask. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> but anyway, looking at the SARS and the MERS and the H1N1, and then now this 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 virus. You go back and you and you and the research says now I don't know how true it is, but the, you know the coronavirus uh, has you know different offshoots of that, and everything traces back to some semblance of coronavirus back even in the early 2000s to the to the bats to the bat yeah. guano. You know the big the big money maker, and people don't want to stop the bats. I mean you got to eliminate the bats. The bats seem to be a major problem. That's just my opinion. But no, 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 no. That, that, that's not opinion. That's actually scientific fact, Jake, is is a lot of these uh, SARS, MERS, and, and several others are traced from bats, and oftentimes it's from bats that then jump into another animal. Like, for example, in yes. this case, uh, the pangolin, uh, which they have in Africa, they also have Asian, they're like ant, scaly anteaters. They're, they're the most uh-huh. uh, hunted animal on the planet. There's been a lot of evidence. Now, the New York Times says maybe not in this case, but there actually has been a lot of evidence uh, that pangolins found in China in the wild and in the wet markets have 99% uh-huh. of the, the trace characteristics of this coronavirus in them. Well, and it goes back many years, and I'm, I'm just I'm concerned because it's been there. In other words, the coronavirus is there for several years, and, you know, why aren't we doing something? I know it sounds crazy, but you eliminate the bats. Eliminate the bats. Put them out of extinction or something, but it goes back to that bat guano, and if you really look at it, it's probably the guano, which is a very lucrative business. Um, the guano, the bat poop, is uh, yeah. 
very profitable for people. So that's, that's <laughs> no, the listen, one point. There, there, there are entire TV networks fueled with bat poop. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean, look at MSNBC. I mean, they, they shovel that stuff all day long. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to get us both in trouble. <laughs> but anyway, that's that's why I call them the Guano News, you know. But anyway. yeah, yeah, absolutely. But Listen, you know, you're you're right on this. Although the the problem is, um, and thanks very much for the phone call. If if we eliminate a bat. There is a cascading effect uh, along the way, um, and you know, like I'm, I would be okay if we eliminated all crocodiles and snakes. I would. Uh, I don't know why God made a crocodile. In fact, I was listening. Um, I have fantastic seminary professor Derek Thomas. He's the senior pastor at First Presbyterian Church in Columbia, South Carolina, and he was was talking in a sermon I heard him say re- recently. It was about Job. Uh, uh, you know, Leviathan, uh, Leviathan in the Bible, more likely than not, was a crocodile uh, for a variety of reasons that there's a lot of credible speculation on that. And he says, I, I, the answer to why God created a crocodile is is we have no idea. So that that's the answer. There's all sorts of speculation. We have no idea. I have no idea why God created the bat, uh, let alone a, the bat as a carrier of disease, other than to affect his will and, and cause global pandemic, I guess. Uh, which will ultimately be used to glorify him, I suppose. But yeah, just the, the whole thing, yes, uh, bats uh, are, are spreaders of this disease and people eating bats. I, there's a great meme circulating on the internet of Ozzy Osbourne was probably patient zero for COVID-19. There may be some truth in that, I don't know. Um, but it, it, when we eliminate the bats, there may be cascading effects in the food chain. You know, speaking of these coronaviruses, Jake, if you're still listening, there's, a, what is the, it's it's the wasting disease that deer have. I'm not a Joe Rogan listener, but I did listen because so many people asked me to. Uh, Joe Rogan recently interviewed an epidemiologist at the University of Minnesota who knows Dr. Fauci, uh, is highly regarded worldwide, and he is actually one of the first people to speculate this probably jumped from a pangolin, this COVID-19 virus. And he explains why and what they found in, in pangolins around the world. But the thing that he has noted is that this wasting disease that deer have that it is almost, almost at this point to the point of jumping to people. That that is his the thing that keeps him up at night is not COVID nineteen. It is this wasting disease that deer get. What is the Charlie or somebody's going to have to have to send me a note on 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 what it is. I, I now I'm not a deer hunter. My, my son very much wants to go hunt. Uh, and I need to at some point. Uh, I need to take him hunting. I've never been, honestly. I grew up in Dubai. Uh, we we were in the desert. We 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 didn't go hunting. Uh, and I don't know that I'm patient enough to sit in a deer stand, but but I suppose I should try. In any event, uh, a lot of deer have the this wasting disease, and they're more and more cautious. There's no there's no immediate testing for it. It takes a while to get tested, and so the hunters process the deer. Uh, the deer get turned into sausage and meat. Uh, the meat gets eaten, and people are ingesting this virus into them through that, and thus far it has not transmitted to people. And this guy, this epidemiologist, says it is the number one thing that keeps him up at night is that the more they study this virus, and, and essentially he's an uh, elderly now. He's, I guess, in his 60s or 70s now. He's retiring, and the thing he is most focused on is this virus because this virus is beginning to show the characteristics that a coronavirus typically begins to develop before it jumps into humans. And maybe it can be animal-to-human spread and not people-to-people spread, but it would eventually mutate to that as well. 
And he said, that's what deeply troubles him. We, we do not appreciate enough the willingness of people to uh, consume animals that are diseased uh, and we don't realize they're diseased. And those diseases then take up within human hosts and begin to figure out ways to jump from person to person as opposed to animal to animal. And that is something we're going to have to take more seriously moving forward. Kind of kind of creeps you out, actually. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Back to the phones. Russ, welcome. Hey, Eric. Eric, uh, I haven't listened to every show, uh, other talk shows as well, but I haven't heard one single person mention what a tough decision President Trump has, whether it's put the country back to work or keep keep us out keep us safe safer. Nobody really knows, you know, what's gonna happen, but regardless of whether you support him or not, what a decision that must be. And I, I don't I don't I think it's a lose lose situation really. Oh, you know, not only that, let, let me read you a headline, Russ. Uh, this is from the Politico this morning. Uh, I, I couldn't believe it when I saw it. Uh, this is about Texas. Economic meltdown gives Democrats new hope in Texas. So you you badger the president and Republican governors to shut down the nation. The nation goes into economic freefall. And then the Democrats say, look at how they destroy the economy. You, you can't keep voting for Republicans. They destroyed the economy. Uh, it, it's amazing that that's the angle that the media and the Democrats both are taking. That The media in particular badgering the president, badgering Republican governors to shut down the nation, uh, to, to contain the virus. They do it. And then suddenly say, oh, look, look, you've, you've, you've ruined everything. You've, you've wrecked the economy. We can't elect you again. Wow. Um, I, I, I gotta say this, the president doesn't have the power to reopen the country. And there are a lot of people who think that he should have the power. I don't think he should. I do not believe the president should have the power to control the operations of states and the states are not going to do it until they feel safe. Brian Kemp, I'll talk about this later. I'm going to interview him this evening and I'll bring him, uh, bring him to you tomorrow morning. The, the governor is more focused on fighting the virus than reopening the state. And he's getting unmitigated hell from his own side for that. There is a coalition in Washington, D.C. trying to get the president to exert power over the states to to get the economy going again. No one is going to do it if they don't feel safe coming out of their homes. And that's part of the reality we have to deal with as a people. And it is no, Russ is right, it is, it's no easy decision. Concurrent to that, there's got to be a way forward. And, you know, I wrote about this some yesterday, and it was based on the monologue I gave you guys last week, that let's pick the date the president wants to open the country. Let's say it's May 15th. That is uh, roughly 30 days from now, we're going to reopen the country. What I think the president needs to do is he needs to give a press briefing and needs to say, these are the things we know we have to have in place to reopen on May 15th from masks to personal protection gear to uh, temperature monitoring for employers to rapid testing, to antibody testing, to all these sorts of things. Lay out the list and every day do the press conference and say, here's where we are on each of these things. Here are the experts. Let me let them talk to you. 
oh, we've missed this goal. We've, we're set back now. We got to do April, May 16th, not May 15th. Uh, we've, we've gotten ahead here. It looks like we may be able to do May 10th instead of May 15th. And, and do that every day. And at the end of the week, say, okay, we're having trouble hitting these goals. And because we're having trouble hitting these goals, we need to reassess, is it actually necessary? And if it is necessary, how's that going to impact uh, a return to normalcy? And keep everyone informed in that regard. We, we've been through the shutdown. We are now shut down. So now let's plan on reopening and tell us what all needs to go into reopening the country. What needs to go into reopening it? What's going to be at stake? Uh, what's at play? What are the deadlines? What are the goals? What's all on the table? Who's involved? And let the people know. Give people hope that life's going to go back to normal. This continuing to say, well, life is never really going to go back to normal thing. I don't know that it's really helpful. I don't know that it is. And it, it's time now to, to, to bring people up to speed. By the way, Charlie and, and uh, listener Frank is emailing as well. It's chronic wasting disease, the wasting disease I was talking about, chronic wasting disease. And yes, epidemiologists say that that is going to be the next major disease to jump from animals to people and that uh, a lot of people do not realize just how contagious it is, how long it lasts in the environment, and also how close it is to jumping from deer into people. That's kind of scary to me to think about. Hello, it is Eric Erickson here. How are y'all today? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm still laughing over the last hour and, and just the, the the unhinged response of the media, the, the president causing people just to, to flat out melt down in his press conference yesterday. I, I haven't even gotten to all the stuff about the press conference I wanted to, and we're already in the second hour of the show. We will get there. The phone number, if you would like to be a part of the program, is 877-97-ERIC. That's 877-973-7425. I'm going to start out of the gate. This hour. I never do this. I, I like to just start with my monologue. But occasionally I get a call that looks like it has the potential to help me start the monologue. And so I'm going to go to Sherry in Johns Creek. Sherry, how are you? Hi, Eric. Love your show. Thank it's you. my favorite. <laughs> Thanks. Um, my question is um, about the Georgia farmers. Obviously, um, they've been going through a lot the last couple of years, and I know the governor mentioned um, buying local, but do you know of any other way to support them? I would be happy to donate to a fund or anything that's set up for them. You know, so th this is this gets to where I wanted to head this hour in that I don't know, actually. Uh, and my understanding is that the federal aid that was long promised them has finally gone. Well, you know, one of the upsides of, of the farmers uh, there, it, it, there's a lot of downside, but one is that uh, Sonny Perdue now being the ag secretary for the administration knows South Georgia very well and is is trying his best to get help down there. I am trying to find, you know, my, my wife and I would love to be parts of you know, the, the farm co-ops where you get the vegetable baskets every yeah. month and, and you get to figure out how to cook with it. We did that for a while and we found out a lot of stuff was going to waste, but now we're stuck at home. So we got time to cook. Uh, so I want to do that. Uh, I, I, I hate to say I don't know the answer, but I don't. Uh, what I do know, though, and, and this gets to a point I wanted to get to, Sherry, is, is there are, I am told, in fact, I got briefed on it yesterday, a number of initiatives coming from Gary Black's uh, Ag Co Agriculture um, Commission uh, where they're going to try to do their best to not just promote local farms, but also local farm to market and local restaurants. 
And so I suspect that's going to be happening very soon. And I, as soon as they send me the final stuff, I'm going to, I'll make sure to let everybody know it. Thank you for raising the question though, because it's, it's what's happening in South Georgia isn't getting a lot of attention. You know, there, there has been now South Georgia is if you're outside the Metro Atlanta area, you tend to forget the rest of Georgia exists. And, and I, that's one reason I like being in middle Georgia is my wife's family is from, uh, the, the, the Vienna Montezuma area. Uh, her parents live in Carrollton. I'm in Macon. Uh, my office is in Atlanta, and I, our flagship station for this show is in Athens. Uh, we've got a, a lot of stations in North Georgia carrying this show. And so I, I feel kind of plugged in here in Macon in a way I not necessarily would be in, if I were in Atlanta. Uh, in Atlanta, you, you, you're not, but you feel like you are some level at the center of the universe because everything is going on and, and you're, you're an hour from the mountains. You're a few hours from the coast. You're an hour from, from rural areas and you go down to South Georgia. And I mean, you could go to Tallahassee. If you live down in Thomasville or Bainbridge, you could technically go to Tallahassee, but nobody wants to go to Tallahassee. You just kind of have to go to Tallahassee unless you're an FSU kid. Uh, no one ever wants to stick their nose in an armpit. No one ever wants to go to Tallahassee. It's basically the same thing. And you could if you need to go to the big city, but otherwise you, you'd want to go to Albany or even drive somewhere other than, than Tallahassee. Nonetheless, uh, South Georgia has not only been hit by hurricanes, but now they've got the virus down there and the Bainbridge area is starting to feel the fallout. Those parts of South Georgia where uh, they, they, to some degree, thought it wasn't going to happen to them. Suddenly, they're starting to see the virus crop up and see the virus crop up at, at in, in spiking rates in places. Hospital resources starting to get taxed. You've got, for example, uh, down in Decatur, Georgia, the, Decatur County, that is Bainbridge, they suddenly got 25 cases there. And then you've got the Albany area. Yeah, let's just see, Let me give you this. Sumter County, that's America's. There are 194 cases. In Lee County, that is uh, two. That's just north of Albany, Leesburg. That's 217 cases. And then in Doherty County, that's Albany. They've got 1,042 cases. Baker County and Mitchell County, which both border the southern end of Doherty County, Baker's got 11 and Mitchell has 118. And a lot of it has to do with people who went to that funeral. And from that funeral, they began to spread the virus into other areas. And it's it's just kind of sad. Terrell, Georgia, which is where Dawson, Georgia is, you got 98 cases. You got 37 in Calhoun. And then you got areas like Baker, Georgia with 11 and Miller, Georgia with nine and Grady, Georgia with 10 and Seminole, Georgia with, with 13. Those are counties down there in South Georgia, Donaldsonville, uh, Cairo, and, and you don't have a ton but if you follow, and this is the remarkable thing, if you follow the U.S. highway system, you can find where a lot of the cases are. And then there's the Houston County area south of where I am. So Bibb County, where I am, has 56. Houston County has 108. There was a healthcare worker who got the virus. And there's been some speculation in local media that perhaps this person was contagious and um, on air or uh, on air uh, working uh, with, with the virus being airborne. And might have might have spread it that way. There, there's speculation. And then you've got the Atlanta area. It, it, it's amazing if you follow 75 and 85. 
Start up at 985 in Hall County. You got 247. Go down to Gwinnett County, 618. Go into DeKalb County, 766. Go into Fulton County, 1,336. Over to Carroll County, you got 195. Go up to Bartow County, 203. Go down to Clayton County, 298. Go down to Henry County, 233. And you know, I'm what I'm also struck by in this situation is the number of people who can look at the data and say, you know, okay, Fulton County and Darty County, that's bad. You got 1,336 in, in Fulton County. You've got uh, 1,042 in Darty County. That's bad. But all things being equal, looking at the rest of it, it's it's not terrible. You've got uh, 1,006 now in DeKalb County, actually, the, the updated total I'm looking at. 816 in Cobb, 766 Gwinnett, and then it drops. So let me let me give you the, the benchmark parameter here. You've got 1,635 in Fulton County. That is Hartsfield-Jackson, two dead mayors, International Airport, uh, all of the flights that came in from Europe and Asia, and, of course, you got 1,635 cases. Uh, Fulton County is the most international. It, it uh, carried – now, certainly the, the airport is technically in Clayton County, but actually most people commute north. They go into uh, Fulton County. Cobb County, Gwinnett County, the urban areas, the urban corridor, uh, Fulton County, it makes sense. There's 1,635 cases. Doherty County, 1,245 cases. 1,245 cases spread starting in in church services and a funeral down there, and it exploded. DeKalb County, 1,006 cases. DeKalb County, urban and diverse, a lot of international travelers. Cobb County, 816, urban, diverse, a lot of international travelers. Clayton County, 766 cases. I'm sorry, Gwinnett County, 766 cases. The most diverse county in the state of Georgia. 1,635 Fulton, 1,245 Doherty, 1,006 DeKalb, 816 Cobb, 766 Gwinnett. And then, and then from 766 in Gwinnett to 396 in Clayton. And then down from there to 319 in Hall. And then down to 289 in Henry, 255 in Lee, 251 in Sumter, 229 Carroll, 223 Bartow, 204 Cherokee. And then 177 Douglas, 167 Muskogee, 156 Richmond, 154 Chatham, 150 Mitchell, 143 Forsyth, 129 Houston, 128 Early, 122 Randolph, 122 Upson, 121 Coweta. 118 Floyd, 118 Terrell, 106 Fayette, 101 Rockdale, 100 Paulding. And then into double digits. And then below. And so you can look at all that. You can say, okay, we got 13,621 cases, 2,702 hospitalizations, 480 deaths. That's not terrible. And that's true. That's not terrible. But consider this. We have 13,621 cases. On this date, last month, we had one. 13,621 cases. On this day, last month, we had that guy who came back from Milan and was home, and they presumed he would be spreading it to his family, and he did. That's a pretty big explosion of the virus. And the explosion down in Doherty County, 1,245, and the bulk of the deaths, 78 deaths in Doherty County. That, more deaths in Doherty County than any other county 
And it was because of that funeral, that church. And then you've got a situation like in Bartow County, 223 people infected, 17 of them dead. And it was the the, uh, Liberty Church on the Square. People went to church services, and it spread in church services. You know, there's a story out of Virginia. Uh, the A pastor up there has died. This is a pastor who he wanted to keep his church open. Gerald Glenn, Bishop Gerald Glenn of Richmond's New Deliverance Evangelistic Church. He kept the church doors open. He told people he wasn't going to stop preaching unless he was in jail or at home. All were welcome in, and he died. He said he was controversial. He said he was in violation of safety protocols. He said there were way more than 10 people at the church. He boasted about it, and he's dead. I'm not going to mock him. I'm not going to laugh about it. But there are cautionary tales about pride coming before the fall. You know, I mentioned in the last hour, there, there are a lot of people who say, well, this is just, the, it's the flu. It's a bad case of the flu. This virus, scientifically, this virus is not an influenza virus. It's a completely different virus. And in less than a week, I, and I, I won't, I'm, you need to listen to this. And if this is the only thing today that you take away from this, if, if you don't pay attention to anything else I say today, you need to, you need to listen to this point, okay? I'm going to give you a countdown. Three, two, one. In less than a week, more people have died in New York City from COVID-19 than died all of last year from the flu in New York City. I'm going to say it again. More people have died in one week in New York City from COVID-19 then died all of last year from the flu. There are people on the right who would have you believe this is just a bad flu season. Bill Bennett went on Fox News yesterday and said this was not a pandemic. I'm not sure how he defines pandemic, but pan, meaning uh, global humanity, uh, pandemic, it, it is spread An epidemic is a spread of a disease. A pandemic is a global spread of the disease. Every country on planet Earth right now has COVID-19 and is dealing with it. It is a pandemic. To say it's not a pandemic is willful nonsense. To say "Eh, 60,000 people died of the flu last year. Actually, it was 34,221 people died of the flu last year. We are already, let let me give you the accurate, accurate number as of right now, um, I've learned this. If you put in United States COVID-19 into Google, it will give you the most accurate up-to-date number, 587,357 people confirmed. And as of right now, 23,649 people dead. 23,649 people dead in two months, basically. In two months, mid-February to mid-April, two months of people dying of COVID-19 in the United States, and we are only slightly less than 10,000 from a six-month flu season death. This is not the flu. This is worse than the flu. And, you know, the the, the one thing that I think is, is somewhat galling to me is that uh, most of you get that. 
intuitively, almost all of you actually get that this is worse than the flu. What is striking to me is how vocal the minority is that say it's just the flu. And I don't think it's helpful for us to go down that rabbit hole. And I know I've got friends who are attacking the models. The models are never accurate. The models are supposed to be a guide. And as more data comes in, they get more and more accurate. It's just like a a hurricane forecast. You all pay attention to the hurricane forecast of where might the hurricane hit. And you understand that as new data comes in, the models are adjusted accordingly to show you the track of the hurricane. That's the same with this epidemiological model of COVID-19. They give you the wide path of what it's going to look like. And then the path continues to shrink and shrink and shrink and shrink to give you a much more accurate snapshot as more and more data comes in. That's all it is. The modeling is not wrong. The modeling is never meant to be right. It's meant to be predictive. It's meant to be probative. It's meant to be helpful. And by the way, we're actually on track for within the modeling. The modeling range was 40,000, 40,000 to 150,000 people dead. We're probably going to hit that 40,000 number. And that's what sheltered in place. Imagine if we hadn't sheltered in place. Imagine, you know, in the great flu, there was a massive flu pandemic in 1957. It gets overshadowed by H1N1, but it was actually worse than H1N1. A lot of people died in 1957 around the world from the flu. There is not a hospital in Georgia that had to build field hospitals in 1957 for the global flu pandemic. They're converting the Georgia World Congress Center into a field hospital in Atlanta. They never did that for the flu. They've never done that for the flu. This is not the flu. It is something more deadly with a higher rate of hospitalization, a higher mortality rate, and we've got 23,000 people dead while we've all been sheltering in place. This is worse than the flu. The phone number, if you would like to be a part of the program, is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Michael calling from Canton. You're going to be next. Welcome. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Um, good, thank you. The reason why I'm calling is a, a couple of things. Number one, uh, I don't know if you've heard about the Wisconsin Supreme Court race um, yesterday, yes. which uh, the Democrats won in an upset. I didn't know if that had anything to do with a contested primary. Um, very Many seniors decided they weren't going to take the risk and go out to vote and what you thought about that, and also immunity cards that Dr. Fauci had talked about. Um, I mean, if they're proposing that, why is it that if we have to get those, why can't we get uh, voter ID cards to be able to vote? Isn't it really basically the same um, principle? Oh, that's a great point. And if I may just ask, since you've done campaigns before, who do you think is the most polarizing? Is it Obama because he lost over a thousand legislative seats or is it Trump? And in, in the polarization situation, do you think because we deal with the electoral college and not the popular vote, do you believe that Trump, um, even with all the issues we're dealing with right now, still has a chance to win? Or do you think pretty much he, he's going to be another Carter? You you know, I think actually the the president has a very good shot at reelection because of the Electoral College. Uh, The nationwide data of the president doesn't look good. But when you look at the seats that will the races that will matter, the states that will matter, the president's actually doing very well in them. Uh, The other issue is on polarization. You know, it's funny you should ask. I've thought a lot about this. And I think that they're mirror images. 
I think uh, Donald Trump and Barack Obama are equally polarizing, uh, equally damaging to their own parties. And, and I know the incumbent, you, you don't like to hear that about the president, uh, but just like Obama, uh, he has been very good for the other side in terms of fundraising and in terms of picking up state legislative seats and in terms of picking up federal seats. So we'll see uh, this year uh, just how many more seats might shift to the Democrats. But yeah, the president has been a very polarizing figure just like Barack Obama, in terms of who's more polarizing, well, the Democrats will say Donald Trump is more. The Republicans will say Barack Obama is more. The fact is, I think they're about equal. Uh, and, and you get more outrage over Donald Trump because the media tends to lean left. And so they're also much more likely to hate him. Now, uh, in terms of Wisconsin, I actually think that the election had a lot to do with it. Um, you had now five precincts in, in Milwaukee, you had long lines, a lot of people absentee voting. Uh, it was dubious as to whether or not the race would still be on yesterday or on Tuesday of last week. I just, I, I see friends of mine saying, oh, this just means it's a disaster there. It's a disaster for Republicans. Now the state has clearly shifted. I don't know that I would say that's the case, uh, given the way the election played out there. Uh, certainly it wasn't good for Republicans that a Republican judge lost his seat on the, uh, Wisconsin Supreme court, but uh, we got to take into account pandemic politics as well and the bad election turnout there. That mattered a lot. I would never yawn on air, but I almost had to delay coming back on air to make it happen. <laughs> Man, I, I, you know, can we just commiserate together for just a moment? Uh, so I did nine hours of radio on Friday. Uh, really, I, I did live, if I'm honest about it, six, because I, I had to record the Good Friday show for you guys, so I didn't cry during it. Uh, and, and then did, was on radio until 10 o'clock Friday night. And it's my wife and I have been commenting on this, the monotony of this. Typically I go to Atlanta once a week to my office just to catch up on all the gossip because there stuff happens. Um, and, and so I go up there once a week or so, and, and that's, that's, that can't happen now. And it's just every single day is the same thing. You get up, you go to the office, you work, you go eat. For me, I go back to the office and go back on radio in the afternoon. And then on Saturday and Sunday, I go in the office. I piddle around. I read the news. I clean my office. I cook. Uh, on on Sunday, we, we watch church. And it's just the cycle repeats. There's no end to it. You're just home all the time unless you go to the grocery store. I'm trying to convince my wife to take our 14-year-old down to South Georgia. And I don't know that she needs to be sold very much on this. I think she wants to take her down to South Georgia, some of the rural parts of the state, and and teach her to drive. Although my wife's car has a lot of get up and go, and that makes me a little nervous, if I'm honest. But got to do something to break up the routine. It's just every single day the exact same thing now. And that's just, it, it's it's disconcerting. And it's starting, to, it's starting to wear on me. I can only imagine... Uh, what it's doing to those of you who typically work for or don't work from home because I work from home. Uh, yeah, I, I guess I'm not supposed to, but my, my radio studio is, is, is at home. Uh, I've, I've never, I haven't worked in an office since 2006, 2006. I've worked from home since 2006, and, and there have been times, particularly during the summer, where I want an office. I want somewhere to go, and, and I don't have the revenue stream to pay rent for an office, so I don't. But I would love to have an office to go to uh, and, and set up a studio in an office somewhere. So it's out of the house. Uh, it frees up a room in the house for something else. 
and I'm not having to worry about, uh, or I, I've just got someplace to go. And even in quarantine, I think I would be able to go to my office because I'd be the only one there. Maybe Philip would be there. Uh, but otherwise, I, I, I would be it. I, I could get out of the house, and, and there would be some level of routine that separates Friday from the weekend. But right now, even me, even though I've worked from home for so long, and, and I'm a workaholic, and it's something that I have to work on, and my wife has to sometimes cajole me on because I'd sit in my office all day and continue to work. I mean, I could have done nine hours of radio on Friday. I, I would have been totally fine doing nine hours of radio on Friday, uh, even though I pre-recorded part of it. I, I, I totally would have been able to do it, and I would have been fine doing it because I love it. It does not... Uh, and, you know, I've talked to enough uh, ENTs and, and specialists in throats that as long as I'm not screaming like some people do in radio, it, it's not going to wear out my voice. My voice may get dry. I, I need to hydrate, but I could totally do nine hours of radio. I don't want to, but I could. But now I'm finding I come into my office on a Saturday or Sunday and, and there's nothing to separate it from being uh, Monday through Friday. Even for me who works from home, the monotony now of, of everybody staying home and every day is the same. And I, it, I somebody told me that on Disney Plus now or, or Disney Junior, one of, one of the Disney channels, they're now running regular reminders. Today is Tuesday. And yeah, by the way, today is Tuesday. If you didn't know, I saw a, a TV station up in Lexington, Kentucky is, is doing that. The weather guy every day. Dave, what day is it? Today's Tuesday. It's Tuesday, people. Put your pants on. It's Tuesday. And that that's basically it. <laughs> and I mean, it's kind of funny, but everybody's working from home. It all kind of runs together. Who knows what day it is anymore? The monotony of it, the regular monotony, the the the, the nonstop drip, drip, drip. Um and you know along the way there's something else happening too. The conspiracy theories. Did y'all know that Bill Gates invented the coronavirus? to be able to track humanity. That's one of the latest ones. Bill Gates scientifically engineered it. And by the way, he's going to come up with the cure for it and make himself even more billions of dollars. Y'all think I'm making it up. But there are actually people out there who are actually encouraging this conspiracy theory. And it's not just the conspiracy theorist for that. It's 5G. Have y'all heard about 5G? 5G technology. Uh, if you look at, if you got an AT&T phone, let me see if mine doesn't. I've got, I've got AT&T and uh, let's see, does it pull up? Yeah, 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 yeah. AT&T, let me turn off the the, the Wi-Fi. Yeah, AT&T, oh, no, right now it says LTE. But AT&T, occasionally, if I get into Atlanta, it'll say 5G, and it's not 5G. My phone's not even capable of 5G. So 5G is the new faster speeds for cell phone data. Now, the downside of 5G is that you need towers, micro transmitters everywhere. So you have big cell phone towers. And then you have micro transmitters that are all over the place because 5G is very, very, very fast data to your cell phone and from your cell phone. But the signal can only travel 
a short distance. It's it's not a far distance. And even inside buildings, it can't the 5G signal typically can't penetrate a lot of buildings. So in cities where it already is, Chicago, New York, uh, Dallas, I think part of downtown Atlanta has 5G. You can't get 5G in buildings because the signal strength can't penetrate the buildings. And yet, despite that, there are people concocting conspiracy theories about the rise of cancer and and everything else. It's it just it's 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 people have too much time on their hands. They've gone insane, and so we're getting these five G conspiracies. And by the way, yes, people are you're you're thinking it, and you're not wrong. People are tying them together. Five G and Bill Gates and the coronavirus. It is all the reason the coronavirus is spreading is because 5G has weakened our immune systems. And by the way, most people don't have 5G. It's, it's, it's in very few parts of the country, but that hasn't stopped the conspiracy theory. Okay, let, let me stop. I, I'm getting confused people. And you know what? Let me sit up here. I'm getting confused people and no one's even messaging me. No one's emailing me. I can just feel it in the force. Y'all are all confused. So I'm going to I'm going to walk back here. And I'm going to explain a little little more. Your cell phones for years there has been this idea, this theory that cell phones cause brain cancer. And the media has peddled these stories and the media has a lot to do with this. The media has peddled the stories that the people who use their cell phones the most tend to have brain cancer. The problem is when you look at the statistical anomalies out there, you can't really tell that from the data. And in fact, it has been tested, not just by scientists backed by the cell phone industry, but by independent labs and colleges and universities. And there actually is no evidence that cell phones cause brain cancer. With the rise of the iPhone, there's no evidence that it causes brain cancer. You know what iPhones typically can cause? I shouldn't say iPhones, um, but it started with the iPhone. There's actually been some very interesting data out there that there's been a spike in teen suicide since around 2007, the summer of 2007. Do you know what happened in the summer of 2007? That's the release of the iPhone. And every year thereafter, we've seen an increase in teen suicide. And the reason sociologists connect the two is because it used to be if your friends went to a party and didn't tell you about it, you would never know. And now they're all over social media showing that they went to the party that you didn't know about and you weren't invited to, and it's led to teen depression. And in leading to teen depression, it's led to an uptick in in teen suicide. Uh, Kids define themselves based on their social media influence and power and cloud and and credibility and, and, and sphere of influence within social media. And when that collapses, you see an increase in teen suicide. What you can't find a correlation to is the rise in brain cancer. There, There is it's statistical noise, and yet people are convinced of it. And the reason they're convinced of it has a lot to do with things they don't understand. I have an iPhone. I love iPhones. There is no string with this iPhone. It's not like a landline phone plugged in anywhere. It's wireless signals and antennas wrapped around the phone and the antenna picks up the wireless signal 
Much like your radio picks up the radio frequency from your local radio station, there's no wire between you and the radio station. I'm not on one end of a tin can, and all of you with tin cans listening to me yell into the tin can, (laughs) No, it's wireless. Well, they can do more and more things with wireless than they could when they invented AM radio and then FM radio, and now they've got a spectrum of frequencies. And people understand that, for example, you could have a kidney stone and you can go to the doctor's office and they can put you in a pool of water in some cases uh, or otherwise use special probes that send high-frequency sounds and they break up the kidney stones so you can get rid of them. And now you can send data. And, and there's no string attached. There, there's no fiber optic cable. There's no Ethernet cable. And so increasingly, the world gets more complicated. And also, along the way, we get more information about cancer. It's not, for example, and I had this, I had this conversation, actually, with a volcanologist a while back. Because I, I was commenting, you know, one of the signs of the end times, the, the birth pangs of, of what's coming. And now it seems like there are more volcanoes exploding today than ever before. There are more earthquakes today than ever before. We hear about earthquakes all the time. We've never heard about earthquakes. Earthquakes in North Georgia, earthquakes in Oklahoma, earthquakes in North Carolina, earthquakes everywhere, earthquakes where there have never been earthquakes. Suddenly there are earthquakes. And so I'm talking to the, with this guy. He's, he's a volcanologist, seismologist. And I was, I was bringing this up to him. I, I, I didn't go into eschatology with him. I was just saying, you know, it seems like it's much more common now. And he says, actually, it's not. We know about it more now. We, we hear more about it now. The media pays attention to these stories now. There is a human interest component to these stories now, but there has not actually been a spike in earthquakes or in, in volcanoes in the world. It's just we hear about it now from the media more. But people hear more about the volcanoes and more about the earthquakes, and they are convinced all of a sudden that there must there's there's a thing there. Something is happening. And, you know, you can correlate the two with eschatology. We, we are hearing more and more about this stuff. Clearly, something is happening in the world that we did not know existed, and now we're paying attention to it. If you want to go down the eschatology, theological road, go for it. But it's the, people just, they hear it, they haven't heard it before, and they connect, something new must be happening. And according to this guy I was talking to, who's an expert in the field, said, no, actually, it's this has actually been very, very common. There is not statistically meaningfully an uptick in things. Is, is it happening in places that aren't used to having it? Yes, there are explanations for that. A lot of it possibly has to do with fracking. We're not sure. There's, in Oklahoma, there seems to be some issue with it. Globally, we're not sure, but it's not like this is a new phenomenon. But now we've got 5G. We, we had 3G and then we had 4G and now we have 5G. And concurrent to that, there's more and more medical talk in the media because people are fascinated by medicine. So the media talks about it more covering cancers and, and autoimmune disorders and now COVID-19. And so people are connecting. The media is covering something that people are interested in and giving it more coverage. And that coverage comes at the same time the media is talking about new technology like 5G. And there are people who connect the two, put it together and say, aha, there's a connection. 5G is causing cancer and COVID-19. And Bill Gates is behind it all. As an aside, 
I get questions all the time about this QAnon stuff, and I try not to pay attention to it. I, I went down the rabbit hole last night, though, finally, finally, after I continue to get questions from people. I've got a friend who's totally down with QAnon. What's so interesting to me is that governance conspiracy theory, and that's what QAnon is. It's a governance conspiracy theory. It attempts to explain the way the world works. And typically, governance conspiracy theories come from losers. Not, not I mean like like losers. Like I mean, yeah, it does, but not, not, not. I, I mean, people who have lost politically, lost political power. You know, in the late 1980s, George H. W. Bush uh, had been the CIA director, had been the chairman of the Republican Party, had been vice president of the United States, was on the verge of becoming the the Republican nominee to be Ronald Reagan's third term, and would go on to win the presidency. The Democrats actually bought a theory and had congressional hearings on the idea that in 1980, George H. W. Bush had used his connections at the CIA to hitch a ride aboard an SR-71 Blackbird and flew to Spain to negotiate the hostage release with the Iranians to make Ronald Reagan look good. They actually had a congressional hearing on whether or not George H.W. Bush had flown on an SR-71 Blackbird to Spain and back in order to make it to a debate. I'm not making that to the to the vice presidential debate. That was a Democratic conspiracy that he flew there and back in a day to get home in time for a debate so everyone could sue him so they'd never know he left the country. It was the conspiracy of losers who had lost in politics. In the 90s, of course, uh, everybody began to believe that the Clintons killed anyone they came into contact with. There are people, I know people, who are convinced the Clintons are mass murderers. Now, most people just treat it as an Epstein joke. I mean, who doesn't laugh at a Jeffrey Epstein joke? But some people are still convinced. In the 2000s, I know people to this day who are convinced that George W. Bush was a puppet of Halliburton. And that he was there to steal oil from Iraq. And and 9-11 was an inside job designed to instigate a war in the Middle East so Halliburton could get oil. When Barack Obama was president, there was the birther conspiracy theory. There were the FEMA trailer conspiracy theories, all the like. And with Donald Trump as president, the losers have posited that Russia stole it. He's a pawn of Russia. He's a Russian puppet and the like. But what makes QAnon so interesting is that the winners... The, the right-wing coalition that got Donald Trump elected, they're the ones coming up with the conspiracy theory, and they're doing it from the vantage point of losers that that Donald Trump doesn't really have power. There's a deep state conspiracy to take him out. People are trying to explain the way the world works through a deep state conspiracy, and it is typically the losers in politics who come up with these conspiracy theories, which suggests Donald Trump supporters have never fully appreciated that they actually won. Because there have been so many people trying to steal the election from them. They've concocted this conspiracy theory, but the underlying presupposition is they never really won. They never really did get the power. The deep state had the power. They're trying to get rid of Donald Trump. I'm just, I'm fascinated by the whole conspiracy theory thing. I don't buy into it. I I can give you predict, like I will predict for you that someone somewhere is going to get indicted and arrested for pulling the strings on this CARES Act uh, economic bailout because it always happens when there's an economic bailout. I can tell you it's going to happen and I'll look like a prophet. And that's what these people do is they, they tell you obvious things that are obviously going to happen and weave it into an elaborate conspiracy. Man, people have too much time on their hands right now. They're coming up with all sorts of stuff. And you got to be able to separate the fake news from the real news. I'm looking the 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 data in Georgia on COVID nineteen suggests you know it had been April twenty third and then they shifted it to April twentieth and now they've moved it to May first as our our peak date for uh, resources May first. Uh, but it looks like uh, the the highest date of deaths came April seventh. 
That was 100 in Georgia. Uh, yesterday, we had four deaths. Uh, or I'm sorry, on, on April 12th, we had four deaths. We will find out more updates here later today. Uh, but it looks like we will never exceed the number of deaths per day that we hit on April 7th, uh, which is good. There's other stuff we got to talk about when we come back. In particular, I want to spend some time focusing on Georgia. And Brian Kemp had a press conference yesterday. He's going to pre-record an interview with me this evening that I will bring for you tomorrow morning. But a friend of mine, uh, it used to be an old neighbor, uh, Jake, he sent me a note yesterday, works down in Houston County, and he asked if I would talk about something. And I, and I want to spend a little bit of time talking about it, but let, let me give you a brief overview right now of it. That is the census. Uh, there is a real problem at this point with getting Georgia Georgians to participate in the census. As of yesterday, there was a 52% completion rate in Houston County. Bibb County, where I am, only had a 39% rate. Monroe County had a 46% rate. Um, and it's just, it, it, it's it, when you go back to 2010, everybody was hitting in the 60s. And you got to do the census to allocate resources from the federal government to the states. It's, it's not just about the number of seats in Congress, uh, although that has a lot to do with it. You don't want to lose a congressional seat, uh, but also the amount of resources allocated to the state. And people aren't doing it. And I want to spend a little time talking about this when we come back. It is vitally important that everybody fills out the census. And particularly if you're a Republican, you want to make sure we secure Republican seats, both in the state legislature, but also in Congress to try to get Congress back. It matters. We'll discuss it. I'm here. I'm here. Welcome. Welcome. I'm sorry. I'm reading an email from a friend. I shouldn't do that right when the show's about to start, but here we are. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson. It is the third hour. It is six after the hour, and it is beautiful outside today. The phone number, if you will, it is beautiful here. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I want to get to the governor and what he said yesterday, but... Before I do, a friend of mine emailed me yesterday, had something he wanted to say. And I I, I gotta say, when <laughs> when I hear from people who I haven't heard from in a while, I always kind of grit my teeth and say, Oh gosh, what's coming? Now the reason I say this <laughs> is because um well the last time this happened, the person was a total conspiracy theorist and, and was blasting me for, um, for not being down with a conspiracy theory of his choice and for being dismissive of it. And he was very upset and like, I haven't talked to you in three years and suddenly, suddenly here you are. So, so I got an email from a, from a guy who used to live down the street from us at our old house, a great guy, wonderful, wonderful guy. And I was, and I knew, I mean, he's totally normal. It's like, it can't be bad. So what, what is it? And, and it was great. It was great. I, and I'm so glad he, he sent me the email, Jake, uh, because he reminded me of something I have literally wanted to talk about almost every day this month and keep pushing it off. And he's like, please, man, you got to talk about this because it's a big deal. And yes, it is. It is. Um, the issue is the census. And it's not getting a lot of attention right now as we're in COVID-19 world. 
but it's actually a big deal. And, and so my buddy Jake sent me some numbers. He works out in Houston County. And he says, um, as of yesterday, Houston County had a census completion rate of 52.2%. Compare that with Bibb is 39%. Peach County is 43.9%. Monroe County, 46.2%. Houston County, for perspective, in 2010 had a 66.2% response rate. And this year, you can't have census workers come to your house. It makes it more uh, more problematic. Now, it, it may sound, as he writes, let me read you about this. Uh, it may sound like uh, milk toast and plastic bananas, but the census really is important to every county in Georgia and Georgia itself because the census is not about just counting the people for representation. It's about power, money, and, and business. So with power, you get the number of seats in Congress the state has is based on the census. The more people counted in Georgia, the better our chances are of picking up an additional seat in Congress. And we may pick one up if everybody does the census this year. And then you've got a federal government. The federal government disperses over $675 billion in support allocations and grants for everything from school lunches to Medicaid to special education grants to health insurance for children to Title I grants to WIC to Head Start to foster care infrastructure projects uh, supporting schools, hospitals, roads in, in Georgia. And it's based on the census. The census determines how much money Congress is going to send to states for roads and bridges and schools and foster care and adoption programs and health insurance and Medicaid and school lunches and special ed. And then there's businesses. Businesses, corporations use the census data to decide where they're going to build offices, stores, developments, commercial properties. You know, Houston County is one of the fastest growing regions of the state. Uh, you undercount in Houston County, you're going to see that the development disappear. Now, for those of you NIMBYs, that may be a good thing. But here's the problem. Uh, Athens, Clark County, Floyd County, Habersham County. Uh, every county that is listening to me right now is impacted by the census. And it will determine what money you get. It will determine uh, how your schools do. So let me, and this is this is not to pick on anybody. I, I'm, I'm going to point this out. Whitfield County, those of you listening up in Dalton right now, how are you? I love you people up in Dalton. And you're in Whitfield County. I, now, I know all of you know you're in Whitfield County. It's the rest of the state. It's like Dalton. What county is Dalton? You know, this is one of the, the most uh, things. I So I'm a native of Louisiana. I moved over here in 93 to go to Mercer, and I never left. Met, uh, met, went to law school, hush up Siri, met, went to law school, met my wife and I stayed. And in Louisiana, we got parishes and I lived in one of the poorest parishes in Louisiana, East Feliciana Parish. Pretty much every industry in that parish is a state run prison or mental institution. Hush, hush up, Charlie. And everybody knew where East Feliciana Parish was in, in Louisiana because that's where the home of the state mental hospital is. It's like the Milledgeville of Louisiana, except not nearly as awesome as Milledgeville. Well, I can tell you where somebody – but the other thing is that in Louisiana, you didn't have parishes and cities that were unaligned. So if you if there was a Jackson – not that there was a Jackson Parish, but if there was a Jackson Parish, you'd find Jackson, Louisiana in it. Well, in Georgia, this is the most bizarre thing. So in Georgia, there's a Whitfield, Georgia, and it ain't in Whitfield County. Uh, let's see, there's a Macon County and a Macon, Georgia, and they're in different places. 
There is a Floyd, Georgia. Did you know there's a Floyd, Georgia? It's an unincorporated territory, I believe, a little unincorporated place, but it ain't in Floyd County. There's a Carroll, Georgia, but it's not in Carroll County. There's a Douglas, Georgia. It is not in Douglas County. And the list goes on and on. There's a Clark, Georgia, and it's not in Clark County. It is, it's just, it, it, it's, it has always boggled my mind. Seriously, let me hang on a second. Now, now that I'm on this path, we're going down the rabbit hole of Eric's brain today. Yes, we are, because we ain't tired of talking about, let's see. Uh, there's a Hall, Georgia, not in Hall County. There's a Gwinnett, Georgia, not in Gwinnett County. There's a Cobb, Georgia, not in Cobb County. It's actually near me here in middle Georgia. Um, there's a Forsyth, Georgia. It is not in Forsyth County. There's a Mitchell, Georgia. It's not in Mitchell County. Um, let's see. What else do we have here? There's a Terrell, Georgia. It is not in Terrell County. There's a Worth, Georgia. It's not in Worth County. I'm just going through the list of names. There's a Bibb, Georgia. It's not in Bibb County. There's a, let's see, there's Tifton in Tift County, and there's also Tift, Georgia, not in Tift County. I could do this all day. I won't. You get my point. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to call out the folk, fine folks up in Dalton because I love the area. It's beautiful up there. On the way to Chattanooga, up 75, uh, you have interstate that runs through Whitfield County. You have uh, US 76 and US 41 branch off there, uh, technically running up the interstate, some of it and some of it not. You've got, uh, so you've got US highway that comes through. Uh, The the US highway that comes through there, you got uh, highway US 76, that comes over from Spring Place in Chatsworth and it goes in uh, north side of Dalton. You've got Highway 41 branches off there. You got 75 goes up through there. You've got schools up in there. All of your area in Whitfield County, your road, your federal roads, your schools, all of that gets money based on your census data. And if you people in Whitfield County have not filled out your census, you're not going to get the money your county would have otherwise gotten. And the same holds true for the rest of you. Let's go over to another great and beautiful place, Pickens County, Georgia. I know I have listeners listening to me right now in Pickens County. And the reason I know is because when I tell people, for example, text data to 33777, I always get people from Talking Rock and Jasper and I didn't even know where Tate was until it started showing up. And then the Big Canoe, which I've never been to and want to go to. It's a beautiful area. It's gorgeous up there. And you head up, you head up towards Ellijay, and and you get all of the, in Gilmer County, you get the apple orchards up there. You can go up there, you can pick apples. All of you people, your, your road system, your schools, your foster care, your local foster care programs, your senior centers and the like, all of them are impacted by whether or not you fill out your census. The question for you in Georgia is not this, do you want federal money? Because a lot of you, you you don't want federal money. You don't want a handout. The question for you is not whether or not you want the federal money. The question is whether or not you want Alabama to get the money that you would otherwise get. Because if you don't fill out your census, Alabama is going to get your money and South Carolina and Tennessee and the other states. So it's not like if you don't fill out the census, well, I'm for small government and I'm not going to fill out the census because I don't think we need that money. The money's going to go. The question is, does it go to you or does it go to Alabama? Do you want it to go to you here in Georgia or do you want it to go to to somewhere in Alabama? 
you could get a road built through your county with the federal money that comes from the census. Alabama could get paving in a trailer park. Uh, it's, it's your choice. What, what, what do you want? But you got to fill out the census. Now, I, I, I'm being a little flippant here, and it's a little silly, and I didn't n- intend to spend this much time on it, but it actually is really important. And, and thanks again to my friend Jake, who highlighted it for me, that I've been meaning to talk about it, and there's been so much stuff on the virus that I haven't, and yet it's vitally important uh, for resources in the state. It doesn't matter what county you live in. For example, let me give you one more county, and, and this I know, and I know they're listening right now. The fine people who are listing over in the Greensboro area and Greene County along Lake Oconee. You've got I-20 runs through Greene County. And not only does I-20 run through Greene County, you've got State Highway 44. You've got the Lake Oconee Parkway runs through there. Beautiful area. And I, I just, I, I want to I want to be at Reynolds, Lake Oconee so bad right now. Uh, the, you know, I wrote a book a couple of years ago and I rented a cottage at the Ritz-Carlton there at Reynolds. And it was right on the lake. It was a little two-bedroom cottage. I, I paid through the nose for it, but it was so relaxing. And I just, I went out, I drank beer and hit golf balls every day. And I'd come home and I'd write my book. And it was so relaxing. And I'd go sit at the little, they had a little area down by the lake, the little restaurant. There was the pool and they had great pizza. And I'd sit there. The bartender actually listens to the show. And I just, it was relaxing and I want to go. But you got I-20 that runs through Greene County. You got uh, Highway 44. That is what? That's the Lake Oconee Parkway. You got a lot of development in that area. And you've got schools in Greene County. You've got more and more people moving into the area as they move further and further away from Atlanta. I mean, that whole area down there, I saw Reynolds has opened up new land on one of the peninsulas there for development. It's a beautiful, beautiful place if you've never been. I, I highly encourage you to go sometime. Uh, I love it over there. If I could get a, a vacation house over in the Reynolds area, um, I would do it. Or Lake Burton. I love Lake Burton. My goodness. Um, but nonetheless, I, let me focus on Green County real quick. There are a number of developments out that way, and a lot of it has to do with infrastructure, and a lot of it has to do with infrastructure because more and more people are moving further outside of Atlanta. You've got Madison people now spilling over there, and you've got Athens people also moving down there because you're not that far on the north end of Lake Oconee. I realize it's shallow up there. I've got friends of mine who are farmers up there, and they told me how shallow the north end of Lake Oconee. I had no idea it was that shallow. But uh, they've got cattle up there, and increasingly people are selling land there uh, as people move out of Athens and they head down south of Watkinsville. They get into uh, they, they get into the Lake Oconee area and they commute, and it's it's a reasonable distance for them. If you're on the outskirts of Atlanta, you're in DeKalb County, you can drive from Lake Oconee there. But as a matter of fact, uh, part of the issue there is uh, infrastructure. And that infrastructure in Greene County, you are eligible for federal money. But you have to fill out the census to get the federal money because if you don't fill out the, the census and you undercount Greene County, well, then you're going to play second fiddle yet again to Madison. And who knows? You, you may even get Tolliver County may up you over there. I mean, Morgan County continues to explode as well. I, Madison, if you've never been to downtown Madison, you need to go. I hate it for their restaurant district down there. That steakhouse that's downtown is fantastic. But if you don't fill out the money, 
if you don't fill out the census, you're not going to get the money. And it's not a matter of the federal government not spending the money. It's a matter of the money going somewhere else. So if you want your share of the money, it doesn't matter what county you live in. If you want your share of the money from the census for your road projects, for improvements of I-20, you know, the last time I got off there, what, what is that exit? I, I can't remember the exit there. Um, in, in I-20 where, where you get off it and there's that, uh, little, what there's the Chevron station, there's the BP on the North side of the interstate. They got a McDonald's there. Now there used to be nothing there, but you head South and you go down to Lake Oconee from, from that exit. I, I forget the exit number now, but there used to be massive potholes. I will never forget, uh, the very first time I ever got off there. I thought I had completely wrecked my car. There was such a big pothole and that sort of infrastructure and even that sort of paving because it's a federal highway system there, you should get federal money for it. And that money is allocated based on your census. So if you don't fill out the census, you don't get the money. You don't get the money. You don't get school improvements. You don't get infrastructure improvements. You don't get highway improvements. You don't get prison improvements. You don't get foster care improvements. You don't get adoption grants. You don't get senior care facilities. You don't get any of that stuff. That money is going to go somewhere. The question is, does it go to you or someone else? So make sure you fill out your census. You've got to take this seriously. My2020census.gov is their website for you to go to. Every single person who's listening right now should have gotten something in the mail with a PIN number, I had to fill mine out. Uh, I did my census already in Bibb County. Mr. Mayor, there's no reason for Mayor Rickard to call me. I've done my census here in Bibb County. But the rest of you, you gotta get it done. In every part of the state right now, the data shows every part of Georgia is undercounted from where it was 10 years ago. And that has a lot to do with census workers are not able to come to your house right now. So go online, my2020census.gov. Way more than I expected to talk about it, but it is that important and it is worth its due. You hear PSAs on radio stations and TV stations. You tune them out right now. I'm here to tell you, you want your potholes fixed, your prisons expanded, your schools improved, your senior centers improved, more money for foster care, more money for adoptions. You got to fill out your census. And if you want Georgia to have one more Republican in Congress, you got to fill out your census. My2020census.gov is the number. Either we're going to get the money or Alabama's going to get the money. All right. Have you guys heard about the Karen phenomenon? I feel badly for, for women named Karen right now, but it is the Karen is the annoying busybody neighbor who is, is demanding and, and just mean and nasty to people and, and in your business and likely to call the cops on you for minding your own business. And, and well, th this is probably the epitome of the Karen phenomenon. Uh, a, a lady named Heather Silchia is a 911 operator. She works the graveyard shift uh, at 911. Uh, she's got three kids. Uh, she's got the, the she's dealing with the COVID-19 situation. And she's having to leave her kids with someone while she goes to, uh, while she's at home sleeping. She leaves her kids. She works overnight. She comes home. She spends time with the kids. And then she lays down. She takes the kids to family to take care of while she's sleeping because she's doing the graveyard shift for 911. So someone left this note. Please stay home. I noticed that a few days a week you leave in the morning with your baby and return a short time later without it. Then I see the man of the house arrive with the baby later in the afternoon while your vehicle hasn't moved all day. This leads me to believe the kid is in daycare. Stop it. I am assuming that man has an essential job since he is gone all day. 
But if you are home, there's no reason for your child to be in daycare at a time like this. I also see you leave shortly after your husband, I assume, gets home. You aren't wearing any sort of uniform, and I've never seen you wear a mask. Bars are closed, and you couldn't possibly be getting groceries every night, which would also require you to wear a mask. So again, I ask you to please stay home. Also, do everyone in the neighborhood a favor and keep your older kids inside. They are loud. Help do your part in keeping our town safe and stop leaving your home. Sincerely, all your neighbors. One, I guarantee you it's not all the neighbors. It's one annoying neighbor. Also, um, they need to upgrade their printer. <laughs> looking at looking at a, a, a picture of it, man, come on. You need new ink in, in your cartridge. I guess you, you, you don't know how to order from Amazon. But nonetheless, so this is a woman... Uh, her husband works during the day. She is now currently working graveyard shift, uh, EM nine one one, getting people uh, to where they need to be. And her neighbor is attacking her for leaving her children, her youngest child, with parents so she can sleep while her husband's at work. Maybe people need to mind their own business. That, Honest to goodness, that, that's the most annoying thing about the situation right now is how nobody wants to mind their own business. you got so many busybodies in so many communities around the country right now who are just sticking their nose in other people's business as if it's their job to do. And that that it's the thing that annoys me the most about all of this right now is that people can't just leave well enough alone right now. They can't leave well enough alone. They've got to browbeat their neighbors and and call the cops and do everything else. And in California, it's been taken to absurd levels. You have an obligation, I think, to do what's right. But your neighbors should just mind their own business right now. Come on. Just drives me insane. Hello there. The phone number, if you want to call in, because it is the Eric Erickson Show, and we got 30 minutes if you want to call in, actually less than that. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I've got to play a montage for you. you got to listen to this. Hang on. Stand by. Here we go. I want to tell you about a 96-year-old man in Florida who said one night, I don't think I'm going to make it. I feel very weak. The end is coming. The next day, he was on hydroxychloroquine and antibiotics per his cardiologist. He got up the next day. He was fine. This man is my father. For me, it saved my life. And I only can go by what it is that I have gone through. Fortunately for me, you know, they put me on some meds and uh, the HCQ worked great for me. Um, I will be honest with you there. And here's what I consider to be the secret weapon, hydroxychloroquine. What you're saying is you're prescribing it and it is working for COVID-19 patients. Every patient I prescribed it to has been very, very ill. And within eight to 12 hours, they were basically symptom free. And your experience with the 80 or so patients you've treated is that you have a lower chance of being put on event if you're on the hydroxy, correct? Correct. If President Trump had not talked about this, it would not be something that's accessible for anyone to be able to get that right now. And my husband was able to pick that prescription up that night, and I was better within a couple hours. The medicines that uh, the president and the CDC and everybody has been talking about, I actually was prescribed. So um, they worked for me. I said, if this was your father, would you prescribe it for your father? And he said that he would. So far, so good. His temperature and oxygen level improving. It's amazing. It really is. 
I'm glad I took the chance. People call these stories anecdotal. Well, data is anecdotal. It means it wasn't studied and it's only based on personal accounts. Well, add my name to those personal accounts because I am feeling better. So we got some media coverage here and most of that is from Fox. And it's about hydroxychloroquine or chloroquine. Now, there is some data, by the way, uh, that chloroquine, not necessarily hydroxychloroquine, but they're very similar, chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine, that they may cause heart arrhythmia. They may cause heart problems. But there's also a lot of data out there that they also do work. Now, to be clear, what the data suggests so far, and it's still up in the air, uh, but what the data suggests so far is that if you don't have a severe case of COVID-19, hydroxychloroquine can get you through it quicker. And not only can it get you through it quicker, but you're more likely to have a milder form of of the virus. It's not a panacea, but it can certainly improve things. And the media has been beating up the president of the United States Every time I get close to my, I think I'm allergic to my microphone. Every time I get close to it, I start sneezing. Um, nonetheless, the media has been beating up the president for suggesting it. Meanwhile, Andrew Cuomo has suggested it. Andrew Cuomo has suggested it and said that uh, the anecdotal signs in Michigan, or in, in, I'm sorry, in New York, suggest that it may actually be working. It may actually be helping people. The audacity of him saying that. How dare he give people false hope that it may actually be working for people? They beat up the president for that. Why beat up the president for that? Somehow or another, they've decided that because the president told people, remember, remember, remember that um, you had the the person turns out she's a Democrat who hates the president went out and, and she and her husband uh, drank fish tank cleaner because it's chloroquine. It's it's a super, super potent strength of chloroquine and, and the husband died and she was in intensive care. And somehow that was the president's fault. The president's going to get these people killed by suggesting that they take this medicine. As opposed to the president was using the platform of the president to raise awareness of the existence of a medicine that uh, data around the world seems to suggest might actually help. And in fact, more and more people are coming forward saying, hey, I got the virus. They put me on hydroxychloroquine. And it worked. What they're doing right now in the testing on hydroxychloroquine in chloroquine and with in combination with the Z-Pak, the antibiotic, is they're trying to figure out dosing. And one of the issues here is some people we know get the virus. And they have a very mild case of the virus. And in having a mild case of the virus, they, uh, for example, I know someone who got it, his symptoms started showing up. Two weeks ago now, I didn't even know he had the virus uh, until the other day, Uh, but his symptoms started showing up on Wednesday two weeks ago, and by Monday, by Monday, he was feeling it. He still had the virus, but he was feeling it. Never went to the hospital, 
wound up having to get tested uh, because he lives in a high-risk environment with family members. And so they test him to be sure, uh, put the rest of the family in quarantine. Thankfully, no one else in the family thus far has presented symptoms. Uh, but he was, uh, Wednesday by, by Monday, he was he was feeling back to normal. Not, not great. I, I shouldn't say back to normal, but did not have the pain. His body, he said his, his whole skin felt like he had a sunburn. He just, he, he did not feel good. And then there are other people who get it and they wind up in ICU. There are people who wind up having severe breathing problems. I know someone else who has it right now who's been dealing with just stabbing pains in his chest. Says it, it hurts to inhale. So the, what they're tra- testing the, the hydroxychloroquine for right now and the chloroquine right now is... Have they wound up giving it to people who got mild cases? And so you you take the medicine and you get over the virus quickly. But have they given the medicine to people who would get over the virus quickly even without the medicine? That's what they're testing for right now. And there's some urban legend conspiracy theory circulating on the Internet right now among people on the right that they're they're giving the medicine and they're designing it to fail. They're designing the test to fail because they wanted to, to they're testing it with placebos. No, no, no. They're actually testing it to see if there is a placebo effect on the medicine. One of the things that they're doing is they're essentially giving people vitamin C pills that look like hydroxychloroquine pills. And they're trying to see, uh, do the people who get the vitamin C pill, do they benefit uh, as quickly, do they heal as quickly as people getting the hydroxychloroquine? If so, the odds are hydroxychloroquine is having a placebo effect on people. We don't understand the placebo effect, but we know it exists. We know that there are people who can be given medicine that is just a sugar pill and tell them that it is some all-powerful medicine and their body will heal themselves. The power of the mind, forget the brain, the power of the mind is a powerful thing. And you can literally give people a sugar pill and tell them it is a pill that does wonders and those wonders will happen because of their brain. The mind is incredible. So one of the things they have to figure out is, is are the people taking hydroxychloroquine, are they giving it to people just randomly? Are the people who are most likely to get it, are they the ones with the mild cases to begin with? And now what they're looking at is, are they giving it to people and people are having the placebo effect? Nobody understands the placebo effect. Again, this is important for you to understand. We know it is a scientific fact that there are some people who you can give a medicine to that is nothing more than compressed sugar. And you can tell them it is a cure for cancer and by God, their cancer may go into remission. And we have no idea how it works, but we know it works. There are people you can give them this pill and say your symptoms of whatever ailment you have are going to go away, and by God, their symptoms go away, and that pill is nothing but compressed sugar. We don't know why it works. We know that the mind is a powerful instrument within your body, and they need to make sure. Are the people who are getting the hydroxychloroquine, are they having a placebo effect where their bodies are healing themselves based on their mind, or is it the medicine? And so there is a study right now where they're giving people vitamin C pills and other people hydroxychloroquine, and they want to see, do the hydroxychloroquine people, do they, is their recovery faster than the people given the placebo vitamin C pill? If so, we know it's not the placebo effect. We know it's hydroxychloroquine, but they got to test it. They got to see if it fails as a placebo. And there's this urban legend springing up from people who aren't doctors online. And I'm not a doctor, by the way, but I do know how to read and talk to people. And... 
they are trying to figure out what's the deal with the medicine? Does it actually work? And then if so, what's the magic dosing? What's the dosing? Now, I will tell you, interestingly enough, I, I read an article the other day trying to explain how some of these medicines work because there, there's um, remdesivir. I think that's how you pronounce it, remdesivir. Uh, Gilead Science has come up with something. By the way, this is one of the very first conspiracies I ever debunked. There is a conspiracy out there that COVID-19 was patented in 2015 by Gilead Science. You've probably heard this. We've had people call into this program and ask me about it. What's the deal with this patent on COVID-19 from, from 2015? Okay, let me let me explain this real quick. Uh, so remdesivir is a medicine uh, produced by Gilead Sciences, and it was produced to fight SARS, MERS, and Ebola. What we know about viruses in particular is that uh, if you get zinc into cells, it makes it harder for the viruses to get into the cells and operate. Zinc seems to have some ability at the microcellular level to disrupt the functioning of coronaviruses. It messes up the receptors. And remdesivir, among other things, gets zinc into cells. Now, I may be, I'm not a doctor. Again, I, I apologize if I'm explaining this wrong. That's why um, zinc uh, supplements, uh, some doctors say, if done correctly, can actually help you in this situation. That's one of the things they're looking at. Some of these some of these medicines, including, I think, the, the chloroquines uh, have something to do with zinc. Don't hold me to that, though, but I think they do. I know remdesivir does. But in any event, so in 2015, in combating Ebola, MERS, and SARS, Gilead Science, they, they made this medicine. It is called uh, remdesivir. And it was for those those drugs, or it was for those viruses. Well, fast forward to 2020. China has an outbreak of the Wuhan virus in Wuhan. Am I a racist for saying that? So they have this viral outbreak. And China does not go to Gilead Science and say, hey, we'd like to try remdesivir. No, no. What China does is they steal the formula for remdesivir. And they start not only manufacturing a duplicate of remdesivir under a different name, but they file a patent application for it. So Gilead Science has to go revise its patent application and add COVID-19 to possible treatment in the patent application. Now, the way patent applications work is first to file gets, gets first rights. So if Gilead Science were to withdraw the patent and then resubmit it as a COVID-19 drug, well, China has already filed the patent, so Gilead Science would have to stand behind China. So what the patent process works in this country, how the patent process works in this country, is you can amend a pre-existing patent, and it does not change the date of the patent, it just updates the terms of the patent. So Gilead Science went after uh, China stole their drug and updated the terms of its 2015 patent. So if you look at the patent application, it says 2015 on it, and it says COVID-19 is one of the things. So conspiracy theorists have pointed that and said, look, 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 they were patenting COVID-19 in 2015. They, they knew all about it. No, no. All they did was they amended their patent application in January of 2020. But because of the way the patent system works, they didn't update the date of the patent because that would have then put them behind China's patent. It was all caused by Chinese theft which China, of course, intellectually is, is notorious for stealing uh, the, the intellectual property of others. 
But so we've got remdesivir out there. We've got hydroxychloroquine out there. And it really is amazing that when Andrew Cuomo or Gavin Newsom or Jay Inslee, any of these Democratic governors, mention that these drugs have shown some benefit, the media fawns over them with praise. It's just a wonderful thing. Look at them. They're doing everything they can to help people. But the president of the United States gets up and talks about it. And they blast him. They blow him up. They condemn him for doing so. It really is amazing to see the double standard. I got to talk about another double standard real quick. I need to play for you a bit from Fox News and be critical of it. Well, I think you'll be able to do all that eventually, but this city still isn't past the crisis. Uh, the ERs are still uh, b busy enough. They're not as busy as they were a couple of days ago, which is good news, but the ICUs are still plenty busy. And that's why I really think we ought to start off in Texas, as we just talked, in other states that have not been hit as hard to work through some of the kinks. The, New York is the ultimate stress test. It's probably twice as dense as the closest competitor, which is San Francisco. We haven't worked out how you're going to get in an elevator, which is basically a cesspool of virus, a public uh, toilets much more crowded. I mean, just the very nature of how we get to work in the subway and public transportation systems. All the assets of the city are disadvantages in this world. But listen, I've talked to technology companies who are building better solutions to try to clean up each and every one of those. Well, temperature sensors are an example. We may be sensing smell, which I'm told by a European group is present uh, deficiencies in smell in 85% of COVID-19 patients. We've got smart people working on this, but maybe New York isn't first. I, in fact, we know for sure New York isn't first, probably should be last. Let's work out some of the things you mentioned, like containment issues that don't tread on civil liberties. Are there ways of doing it? Of course there are. We've got smart people, but it's going to... Well, I think... I, I'm just going to stop there. That's all reasonable. Everything said there was reasonable. I, I, I got no bones to pick with it, but I got a question. That's Dr. Oz on Fox, on Hannity. When did Dr. Oz become an expert? Why, why, are, we, why are we touting celebrity doctors who are known for quack nonsense on their reality talk shows as opposed to real experts? Well, why... Well, you know, there's this annoying phenomenon within conservatism these days, within Republicans these days, of where you find the B and the C celebrity and they're ours. They may be a terrible actor, but they're ours. Why are we doing this? Why are we touting Dr. Oz as an expert? Why? An Oprah generator. Oh, what's next? Will, will Fox trot out Rob Bell to be their theology expert? Because he's an Oprah guy too. God help us. Please, conservatives, stop latching on to B-list celebrities to be your A-list celebrities. Please stop allowing on the celebrities. Yes, he's a doctor and everything he said was fine, but it's just annoying me. In, in the same way the media blasts the president for touting a potential medical aid to COVID-19. Hey, let's get Dr. Oz from reality TV to be our expert because he's on TV. That makes him legit. No, there are so many good people you could have. Instead, so many conservatives out there are emotionally invested in undermining Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks because they want to bring the country back to work and they blame them and they're bringing on people like Dr. Oz. Stop it. Stop it, conservatives. You're ruining your long-term credibility there. One day I'm going to get back to sending the recipes. I'm sorry. There's just so much other stuff going on right now. And then my poor wife who, so I spent the weekend just trying to clean up because I was finally annoyed with the mess. And then my wife went gangbusters yesterday enlisting the 11 year old to start cleaning up as well. Did an incredible job cleaning up uh, the downstairs in our house. And and I, I almost feel like we should turn, turn our house into like prison homeschool 
where the kids are going to get fed bread and water unless they pick up their toys at this point. And and my 14-year-old, she stays in a room and does all of her work. In fact, I had to go talk to her yesterday and just say, you know, I get a little concerned about you staying in your room all the time. But then the 11-year-old wants to play, 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 which is great because, you know, I I love having my kids love to be with me, but also the house is a wreck. Well, it was, and now my wife has got it spotless, which is incredible. We can't have the house. We're still paying our housekeepers. And they can't come. In fact, I paid my barber yesterday for the next couple of haircuts that I'm going to get. Uh, just just figured I would pay in advance. I, I got the money. He doesn't. I'm going to pay him in advance right now. Uh, I, I assume people are doing that. You know, that that's my biggest fear about this whole economic situation right now is that the country's going to slowly reopen and a lot of our favorite places aren't going to be there. There's this Mexican restaurant near my house called Margarita's. And it's a chain. There are several of them in town. And there's a rumor that they're just going to be closed permanently. And I I don't think that's true. They've been over there renovating. But I like to just go in there in the afternoon by myself, sit at the bar, grab a beer, eat a quesadilla alone between shows just to relax when I'm not killing myself at CrossFit. I want to go to CrossFit. I'm continuing to have my, my pay my gym membership dues and I hadn't been in a month. Cause I want to make sure the place is open when I go back and, and I'm, I'm, I realize I'm blessed. I'm fortunate enough where I can be a blessing to other people right now who need it. And I hope more people are doing that. Cause that, that is my real fear here is that we're going to get to the end of this and we're going to want to go back to places we haven't been in a while and they're not going to be there. And that concerns me. I want to play this audio from the CDC director before we get out of here, Robert Redfield. I think it's important what you said. I think right now our job is to get through this outbreak and and get our uh, country back to work. I will say that if you look back it, in, in January and February, the cases we had in this country were all related to China travel. Actually, uh, it was 14 cases throughout the country. The CDC evaluated over 800 contacts of those individuals and only identified two individuals that had been infected, both spouses. It wasn't until February 28th when we saw our first community transmission where we said, wait a minute, where's this, where's this coming from? And so I think it's important when we, when we get back and we get through this, we can look back at the timeline. Um, but our initial response was containment. And, and as I mentioned, through February 28th, I think we had 14 cases in the country. You know, people are circulating video of Dr. Fauci at the end of February saying there's nothing to worry about. And and that's the head of the CDC saying all the cases we had at the time were just people who had been to China or Milan. It wasn't spreading in the community and twisting everybody's words to try to build conspiracy here. I think that long term is going to hurt us as bad as if we come out of our houses and our favorite shops and restaurants are no longer open we got to be real careful about the truth and try to avoid as best we can weaving conspiracy where there is no conspiracy. And I would just encourage you to be careful about doing that. We'll be back tomorrow. Take more of your calls then. See you later.